Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. I've been thinking, you know, in preparation for the message here, obviously, about our Christian hope. Our Christian hope for His appearing. Our hope for life after this life. Life after we die. And also for the new creation, which was Israel's hope. The new creation. And I was thinking how all of those things, every bit of our Christian hope, is 100% dependent on the resurrection. Whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. On this Easter Sunday, I want to talk to you for a few minutes about hope, Christian hope. Now, hope is a, not an unusual, it's not, not a unique concept to Christianity. We all hope for things. But, you know, for the world, hope has more to do, I think, with sometimes a strong desire or even a wish. You know what I'm saying? Like when you blow out your birthday candles, you tell your kids, make a wish, Right? Or if you see a shooting star, you're supposed to make a wish. Well, what do you wish for? You wish for what you hope happens, right? Hoping and wishing, very closely related. I hope I find a better job. I hope I meet my future husband or wife if you're single. I, I wish I could go on a vacation like that. I wish I had more time with my family. You get it? I, I hope I win the lottery, <laughs> You know, some, sometimes the hopes and the wishes that we have, they can be pretty kind of far out there, like winning the lottery. I mean, statistically, you're not going to win the lottery. You're just wishing. You ever hear that phrase? No, you're just wishing. But, you know, if you took the time to plant a garden, anybody in here like to garden besides Reen Kim? <laughs> and the spiders? <laughs> Watch for spiders. If you, if you work the soil... If you plant the seed, if you give it the right moisture, if you keep the weeds away, you keep the rabbits away, all of a sudden now your hope of having a harvest is a lot more reasonable, isn't it? It's a reasonable hope. Now we're getting a little bit closer to Christian hope. Christian hope is not just wishing. It's based on something more solid. You know, if you go to work, you work at your job faithfully, you show up on time, you, you earn a profit for the company. You know, you work hard. You're not just hoping for a paycheck. <laughs> You're expecting a paycheck. In fact, if you don't get the paycheck, you would find reason to go and complain, right? Why? Because the agreement, you had an agreement. That paycheck, your hope for a paycheck was based on an agreement with the company. It was based on a promise that if you do this, they'll pay you. Is that right? Now we're getting really, really close to what Christian hope is. See, our hope is not based on just wishing for a something after this life. Our hope is based on God's promises. Our hope is based on the fact that Jesus raised from the dead and went before us. This is what the Christian hope is. Look at Titus chapter 1, verse 2. Paul is speaking here, and he spoke of the hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages begin. The hope of eternal life, which God promised us before the ages begin. See, Christian hope isn't just desire or wishing, but it's a confidence. 
It's a firm expectation. I named my daughter's middle name Hope. I told her, Kim, Hope means joyful expectation. And we waited a long time because she was late. <laughs> but we had a lot of joyful expectation waiting for her. But we knew she was coming. We knew she was coming. We weren't just wishing that one day a daughter would show up at our home. We knew she was coming. God's, God's hope, our Christian hope, is based upon the promises of God and Jesus' resurrection. John speaks of this hope in uh, 1 John chapter 3, starting at verse 2. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. See, the Christian hope is the expectation of his appearing and everything that comes with it. He's going to come back and he will set right the world as the righteous judge. He'll come back and he will bring a new creation. He'll come back and we will experience, if we die before he comes, resurrection. If we're still alive when he comes, what do we get? We get raptured. We get translated, the twinkling, twinkling of an eye. And we will be, this verse says, we will be like him when he appears. That is our Christian hope. So as we celebrate Easter, Resurrection Sunday, think about how all that we hope for as a Christian depends on the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we celebrate today. Now, what I want to do is just take a few minutes and explore that verse that Rin Kim read, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if you're following me in a real Bible, just don't lose that spot. Keep your finger there for all, the whole time, and we'll, we'll jump around a little bit. But uh, starting with 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses, verse 16, uh, Paul says this, For if the dead are not raised... Not even Christ has been raised. So what he's doing is here is he's making an argument for resurrection. Do you remember in, um, when he was before the Sanhedrin in the book of Acts, he was making a speech and he said, um, Acts 23.6, is that in there, Kenneth? Acts 23.6, put that up. Acts 23.6. Did I forget to load it? Okay, no problem. But he's, he's there before the Sanhedrin, and they said, uh, he said, it is my hope of the resurrection why I'm on trial before you today. It's my hope of the resurrection. And then the whole place was divided because half the people believed in the resurrection and half the people said there is no resurrection. Now, see, we get this idea sometimes, like intellectual thinkers, they think that, you know, today, well, we don't believe in that kind of stuff anymore because we're a lot smarter than they were then, and they had these superstitions. But that's not really the case because, you know, even 2,000 years ago, it was pretty common experience that dead people stayed dead. They believed that when you died, you died. <laughs> you didn't come back. Even 2,000 years ago, they knew that. And uh, just, just like now, when you're dead, you're dead. You don't, it's, coming back is not normal. And so we didn't advance so far in our 2,000 years of science that we can set, dismiss that. They understood the same thing. But, but Paul is making the case that, yes, the dead really are raised. It's something that God had promised from the beginning of time that, that we would be raised up with him. So it goes on. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. 
But let me ask you this. If Christ was raised, and he was, then your faith is not futile. It's not empty. It's not meaningless. It's not void of power. It accomplishes much. And what happened with the sins? The resurrection of Jesus put an end to sin's power over us. The resurrection of Jesus stopped sin in its tracks. It can chase us to the cross and then no more, no more. In fact, the fact that Jesus was raised to life, one of the things that implies is the fact that he was dead because you can't be raised back to life if you've not ever been dead, right? So, I mean, he was dead. He was completely dead, you know? Like if you put the machines on him, it'd be like no brain waves, no brain activity, flat line, you know? He's dead, Jim. Seeing if anybody knows Star Trek. <laughs> He's dead, Jim. But flatline, dead, completely dead. But the resurrection means that his work on the cross was successful because what he came to do, dealing with our sins and our shortcomings, he accomplished at the cross. So now we can come into Jesus and receive that forgiveness. Look at what he did on the cross. Michael started preaching on this already. It was good. <laughs> Hebrews 2. No, I mean, we've all been preaching on it all day because it's just what happened. And yay. <laughs> Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of the death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. See, the mission of Jesus was to do what? To destroy Satan and destroy the power of the death and to destroy all the works of the enemy, all the works of his enemy. And when he was nailed to the cross, all of our sins, all of our shortcomings, all of our sicknesses were nailed to that cross with him. And when he was laid in the tomb, all of our sins and sicknesses and shortcomings were laid in that tomb. But when he came out of that tomb, he left them there. They're done. They're powerless. He's taken the power. He says, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. All power. How much power does the devil have? None. None. When we first come to Jesus, we actually identify with his death so that we can receive his life. To identify with the death of Jesus means that you see what he did on the cross and you realize that he did that for me. He did that for you. Like I said earlier, he didn't need to experience it for himself. He had no problems that he needed to die for. But we did. We needed to be rescued from death. And so to identify with his death is to come alongside of him and see his death on the cross as my death on the cross. Because he didn't die for himself he died for me. He died for you. Consider this verse from Galatians. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. To identify with his death is to receive his death as your own. To say with Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. My life in Adam came to an end when I received his sacrifice on the cross, when I identified with his death. Isn't that what water baptism re represents? Mm -hmm. Romans 6, 
starting at verse three. Don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. When we come to Jesus, we identify with his death. His death becomes our death. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15, pick it up at verse 17. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Again, what is our Christian hope? Life after this life. Or life after death. Life after this life sounds more positive, doesn't it? <laughs> life after death. <laughs> Future life. This life isn't all there is. It's kind of like, a, uh, you know, our, our uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 gives it more detail, starting at verse 13. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. Okay? It's so nice. They call them asleep. Okay? Not death, asleep. But it means the same thing that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So for, from our perspective, we say they're dead. They've died. But from God's perspective, he says they're sleeping. I'm gonna wake them up and bring them with me. I got to play, um, I got to play paintball with a bunch of guys one time. We were up in uh, New Jersey and I mean, it was intense. I mean, we were like, we were like really wargaming. I felt, I'm sure it wasn't if you're in the military, but it was pretty fun. And we're crawling around through the weeds, you know? And if somebody got hit with the paintball, you're out, right? But you know, you're not dead. You're just out of that game. You have to go sit on the bench, wait till the game's over. And when the game's over, we all get together again, right? And uh, here we are in this life. If one of us, you know, gets taken out early, or we run our course and then go on, we're not gone. We have hope beyond this life that we're all going to get together again. And, you know, how should we live our lives knowing that? Knowing that this is just a, you know, if you want to think about that illusion or that illustration as a game, it's just a time. And then we step over into real life in all eternity. Um, when I was, uh, I don't know, have you guys met my brother? He's back there. Hi, Matthew. Everybody wave at Matthew. Okay. Everybody go harass him. Okay. <laughs> um, it had to be Matthew probably 30 years ago when we went and uh, fought in that karate tournament. Because when, we when I was a teenager, and he was, he was, he's younger than me, uh, we, were, we were working on karate tournament, and we went to the Battle of Atlanta. I mean, this was a major deal. And so the problem was, it was my, completely my first tournament. I'd never fought in a tournament. The sparring that we would do in our school, you know, was more like self-defense, and we were kind of reacting to other people's moves. And I get down there, and I get in the ring with this guy who obviously had been years uh, in tournament fighting. And uh, when they gave us the go-ahead, he just jumps up in the air, and he, like, does this flying, I mean, just totally leaves himself open, and try, it pops me on the back of my head with the back of his knuckles, like with his pad, and meanwhile, I see him coming, though, and I'm thinking I'm really in a fight. You know, I'm not trying just to, uh, uh, you know, 
I'm thinking that karate represents real fighting, not this kind of dancing stuff. So I kind of moved to block and I go to punch his side. And I pulled my punch because that's how we were trained. I wasn't trying to hurt him, but I was like, there's my point. And he starts jumping around the room because he, and the, he gets the point. And I didn't get the point. And I didn't know, I didn't know how it worked. And so what he did for the next two minutes because he danced around the ring. I couldn't even engage him. And I, not, not being somebody who knew how to spar in tournaments, I, I didn't know how to corner him, you know? And 30 years later, that still bugs me. <laughs> I'm like, why could, if I could go back there now, knowing what I know, knowing what I learned, you know, I would have done whatever it took to get him cornered and through every technique I knew. Of course, the good techniques are not legal and <laughs> in tournaments, but um, I would have thrown everything I could at him and at least, you know, known that I gave it that effort because what happened was two minutes, the bell rings, ding, it's over. You know, our life is just, we got two minutes to go. This is the only time you're going to be in the ring with the devil. This is the only time uh, that you're going to have to trust God for healing for finances, for salvation. This is your only chance right now to do damage to the devil and leave your mark in this ring. Because when he comes, the bell rings, the trumpet sounds, and we go. It's done. This is your chance. So the resurrection gives us the perspective to live in this present time for eternity. We've got to live in this present time for eternity. Now, the next year we went back, I didn't do so well, but my brother back there, he took first place in forms the next year at the tournament. He was short, and he's like carrying the six-foot trophy around in his gi, his black belt. is looking good. <laughs> but uh, I just had to throw that in there because he's here today. <laughs> but, yeah, we were pretty excited. We, we found out that at that tournament, um, I think it was the first one we went to, that's where they discovered the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from the first movie back in the 90s. Yeah, it was a big deal. And not having any experience, we just go there. It was pretty fun. But the thing is, boy, if I could do it again knowing what I know now. See, we've got to trust the word. We've got to trust that these things are true. And just, I mean, you know how they say, leave it all on the table or leave it all on the... We've got to give it what we've got because this time that we're living in, it's just that long. And then that trumpet sounds and then we don't get a chance to beat up on the devil. He's already been beat up on a lot, and he will be a lot more. But, man, don't you want to get your licks in before you go? <laughs> Come on. We owe him some stuff, right? <laughs> but uh, the, uh, the resurrection gives us a perspective on how to live this life. Set, uh, Titus chapter 2, uh, verses 11 through 13. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Back with me to 1 Corinthians 15, if you will. Verse 20 says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. See, Jesus' bodily resurrection is the pattern for our future resurrection. Jesus' resurrection gives us reason to have hope in our bodily resurrection. 
What is a first fruit offering? I said it before, a first fruit offering. When you have a field, you have your growing fruit, you bring your fruit and you, uh, you present it and, um, to, to the Lord. But it's not all the fruit in the field, it's the first fruits. Why do you do that? Because out there in the field is a whole bunch more of the exact same thing, right? Um, my wife contracts for different companies. She's an interpreter. And um, every time she picks up a new company, she, she just does this. The first check that she gets from that company she contracts with, she likes to give it. I didn't tell her I was going to tell this, but that's okay. She likes to give it away to, to missions or to people who are serving the Lord. And the reason she does, she says it's her first fruit. Well, it's not all the money she makes from there. It's the first check because it's the first time that company gave her a check. They're going to give her a whole lot more, right? So Jesus is the first fruit. That means there's a whole lot more coming. There's a whole lot more out in the field who are going to get resurrected. So his first, the first fruit is the first representation. It represents all of those crops in the field. And, and you offer your first fruit. And the idea is you give it to God. You're consecrating all of your harvest to the Lord represented in that first fruit. Jesus is resurrected as a first fruit. And it represents what's coming for all of us. Again, our identity, not only with his death, but with his resurrection. So, listen to uh, verse 21. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits, and then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. His resurrection is a pattern of our resurrection. So what God did for Jesus on Easter, on Resurrection Day, he will do for all of his people at the end. Now look back with me at that verse 22. I like this. Uh, I, I, there's a preacher that I do like to listen to. I've got to meet him a few times, and I, I totally stole this from him, but it's, it's good. It says, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And if you keep on reading, if you'll read a few verses later, it says that Jesus came as the last Adam. And what he'll say is, he said, Jesus didn't come as the second Adam. He came as the last Adam. Jesus came to end the Adam's family. <laughs> because the Adam's family got really, really weird and something had to be done with Adam's family. <laughs> so Jesus came not as another Adam, but he came as the last Adam to end the Adam's family. And so when we identify with his death, that is the end of Adam in you. From now on, you are not part of the Adam's family. You're part of the new creation family. You're part of the new creation. Remember first, or 2 Corinthians 5.17? If anyone is in Christ, new creation. Old is gone, the new has come. See, the resurrection means that the new creation has already begun in Jesus. See, the, res the new creation is, you know, we talk about life after death. The new creation is life after life after death. Think about that. You die, you know, somebody dies here, they, they're with the Lord. They come back with him, and then together we enter into the new creation, the new heaven and the new earth. Look at 2 Peter 3.13. 
But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. See, that's why we need a bodily resurrection. Jesus had a bodily resurrection. There is a man in the Godhead seated at the right hand of the Father. And we too will have a bodily resurrection so we can participate bodily in the new creation. But it won't be the same body. You'll like it better. (laughs) You'll like it a lot better. Because at his appearing, we will be changed. We'll become like him. Perishable, we'll put on imperishable. This mortal body will put on immortality and death must be swallowed up in victory. And we will no longer bear the image of the man of the dust, Adam, but we'll bear the image of the man of heaven, Jesus Christ. And finally, the resurrection is the assurance that Jesus will will judge the world in all righteousness. Acts chapter 17, starting at verse 30. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. The assurance that we have that God will come back and set the world right is that God raised Jesus from the dead. And I got to tell you, I think the most scary thing for somebody who's not right with God has to be the fact that God is good. Because remember Israel's experience with God? When they kept the covenant, they were blessed, they had peace with their enemies, and they would say, God is righteous, He is faithful, He is good. But when they were exiled because they didn't keep the covenant and they were scattered all over the face of the earth and they were oppressed by the Assyrians and they were oppressed by the Babylonians, what could they say? God is good. He kept his word. So if you're not right with God, it's got to be a terrifying thing to think that God is good and he'll not contend forever with unrighteousness. He's gracious And he holds out an invitation. And his patience means salvation for us. But there is coming a time when he will return as the righteous judge. You know, think about uh, back in the day when they had circuit judges uh, on the frontier. You know, I I didn't know this, but uh, Abraham Lincoln was a um, a circuit attorney. Did you know that? I didn't know that about him. You probably did. That's awesome. So he would travel around. Uh, with, with the judges and they'd go from county seat to county seat. Now imagine you're living in one of those places and, you know, there's somebody who's, you know, stealing the cattle, messing with the property lines, whatever, maybe even a murderer. What do you do? You wait for the judge to come and sort it all out. You're waiting for the judge. That's what we're doing. We're waiting for the judge. The fact that he's coming as judge of the world, if you're on one side, that's a terrifying thought. But if you're right with him, you're, you're longing for his appearing. Maranatha, our Lord, come. We want him to return. Lord, come and straighten this mess out. Lord, but he says what? He says that his patience means salvation. Second Peter, I, I read it earlier, uh, 13, 3.13. According to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And 15, 
and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. The Lord, this is the time to patiently wait for the Lord. See, people are still being saved. People are still coming into the kingdom every day. His patience means more people get saved. He's not ready just to foreclose on this and wrap it up as long as there are more people who need to get saved. He's not willing to, to, to come now as the judge until everybody who can be saved is saved. So it's time for us to be busy. Amen? New creations begin in him. We've got a job to do. But a time is coming when he will return and take his place as judge, and he will root out all the wickedness out of his kingdom. And this is our Christian hope. So, Candy, if you come forward and just kind of get ready. Um, and as the ushers prepare to uh, minister the Lord's Supper, serve the communion, I just want to explain. I want to explain a little bit from 1 Corinthians 11. When we partake of the Lord's table, the Lord's Supper, communion, this is actually how we identify with Jesus' death. When we have the, the, the body, remember the body broken for us. He didn't die for himself. He died for Adam's race. He put an end to that for us. When we partake his blood, the Bible says we are, we are proclaiming his death until he comes. We are identifying with his death. This is your moment as you partake of the body and the blood of the Lord to identify with him and to receive the gift of life. Remember I said we identify with him in death so that we may receive his life. This is something that we can all participate in. If you have not yet identified with his death and come to salvation in him, I'm actually going to invite you today. In fact, I believe that the Lord would invite you today to come and partake and let this be your moment of identifying with his death so that you can participate in his resurrection. So as Candy begins to sing and the ushers begin to pass out the elements.